0: I'm not an idiot, you know. <clears throat> Are you sure because you're you're acting like one right now? Tears erupt. Voices escalate. Faces turn red and veins pop out on foreheads and you just have become the witness to or perhaps the willing participant in a blowout of a brawl. Has that ever happened to you? You know, this morning, perhaps, when your wife refused for a second week in a row to make pancakes for breakfast. You have to be on Facebook to know what I'm talking about there. I must be honest with you, it doesn't take much to set me off these days. I'm a little bit on edge. I have a shorter fuse than normal. And it's not only me. I'm not the only one. David dropped by the office yesterday to vent for a bit after his day at work. And he was talking to me about how people are not being very respectful or nice, particularly in keeping their distance from the staff. And if you're between them and their precious carton of eggs, forget about it. See what I did there? I didn't mention toilet paper. Aren't you proud of me that I've moved on with my life? I've observed other social cracks in the the world order, so to speak. You know, what was peaceful driving for about a week or so has morphed back into loud, obnoxious honks and aggressive gestures. What's strange is it's not because the traffic's any busier, because it's not. It's just that people are stressed out. When I googled the phrase, has domestic violence increased during the pandemic, here are the first headlines that that appeared. BC advocates say domestic violence has spiked during COVID-19. Perfect storm for domestic violence during COVID-19 pandemic. Safety tips for combating domestic violence during COVID-19 pandemic. Alberta Domestic and Sexual Violence Centers see spike in calls. Domestic violence and increasing concern during pandemic. You know, I can keep going, but I think you get the idea. Now, I'm not suggesting that you're out there beating one another up right now. But could it be that we all have been a little less agreeable in recent days? Has the pandemic not only been the spread of the coronavirus, but also of short tempers and bad manners? Has social distancing become social dissing? Now, last time we were in our cultivating series, based on the fruits of the Spirit passage in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we looked at peace. And, and, and primarily we focused on finding a sense of Peace. And our sense of well being in our lives, particularly in this rather unpeaceful, stressful time in which we're presently finding ourselves. Specifically, we focused on the fact that real peace doesn't depend on, on peaceful circumstances, thankfully, or we would be in trouble. In fact, real peace allows us to have calm souls in chaotic circumstances. But we can't leave our discussion of peace without also talking about being peacemakers. Because that's primarily what the fruit is that Paul's talking about in this passage. It's not just talking about the peace that we receive, although that's so important, but it's also talking about the fruit, which is becoming a peacemaker. But before we go there, we need to build, again, the proper foundation, or we're going to misunderstand what Paul's trying to share with us. In Ephesians 3, Paul pens a prayer that is one of my favorite prayers recorded anywhere in Scripture. The context is that Paul's writing to this young church while he's in prison. And just before this prayer, Paul writes, Please don't lose heart because of my trials here. You know, the Christians in Ephesus were discouraged. They, they were anxious. They were upset and confused and worried because their leader and mentor was in prison. Life had taken an unexpected turn. Life was not playing out as planned. And it wasn't playing out as planned for Paul. So where did that leave them? You know, uncertainty, confusion, unwelcome change. Paul being in prison, the classic self-isolation quarantine situation, if ever there was one. Things were not good. Well, during all this, what do you think Paul prays? Does he pray for a get-out-of-jail-free card? Uh, No. Does he pray for a change in their circumstances? No. Beginning with verse 14, 14 we read, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I would venture to say that this is among the most powerful practical prayers in all of Scripture, even though it says nothing about external circumstances. Paul doesn't pray for healing. He doesn't pray for freedom from prison. He doesn't pray for things to go back to normal. Or for God to make everything better. No, that's, you know, there's not anything wrong with those kinds of prayers, obviously. But that's not what was on most Paul's heart at the time. While he was there sitting in isolation. Paul prays that the Father would strengthen his people by his glorious activity in their hearts, or as Paul calls it, the inner being. You know, in, in the biblical context, the inner being or the heart is the seat of our attitudes or our emotions, our motivations, it's our mind and heart together. It's who we are, it's our soul. And Paul's praying for their internal lives to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Why? so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. It's kind of strange, isn't it? It almost sounds like Paul's praying for their salvation, but he isn't because they're already followers of Christ. Here's something I want you to consider. Don't dismiss what, I, dismiss what I'm about to ask here. You know, I want you to think about it, I want you to, to ponder it, I want you to process this question. Is Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith? I'm not asking if you're saved. I'm asking at the center of your being, where all your thoughts and attitudes and emotions and decisions happen, is that where Christ is presently dwelling? Is that where Christ is self isolating in your life? Paul also prays that that we might be able to have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You know, think about it. Paul's speaking to Christians. He's praying that they might have the power to grasp the quality and the quantity of Christ's love for them. Why would Paul pray something like this? I mean... If you're a Christian, you must know the cro- that Christ loves you, right? He went to the cross for you. He died for you. How can you not understand how grand his love is for you, for us? Well, look at the words that, that Paul's using here. Paul is saying that even as Christians, we need God's help. We need his power to grasp, to understand, to comprehend for ourselves in our context right now the grandness of God's love for us in Christ. In other words, without God's gracious help, we can't understand understand the extent of, of Christ's love for us. You no, it's the love that's wide enough to include anyone who comes to him, regardless of their bank accounts, their ethnicity, or their status, or their past sin. His love is long enough to, to never leave us or forsake us. His love is deep enough to empty himself and become one of us and experience life from our perspective, and then offer his life to lift us out of our deepest pit. His love is high enough to transform us into his people and raise raise us above any momentary circumstances or pain. You know, there's so much to meditate on in this passage. There's so much to think about. There's so much to pray through in this passage. But the question is, what does this have to do with us being peacemakers? Well, it's simply this. Paul understands that it is the inner life that is foundational. So, so if I were just to give you five ways to plant peace, or ten ways to avoid being an adversary, I would be setting you up for frustration and failure. Peace does not come from plans or points on a chart. Peace comes from Christ dwelling in our hearts. And Christ doesn't just dwell in our hearts as if it were a given. Peace is a process. It's it's a process of grasping the expansive, all-encompassing nature of God's love. Not, Not just in general, but in specific, personal terms for you and for me. No no matter how long you have been a Christian, I can guarantee you that you have not yet fully grasped, fully understood, and fully worked out the the implications of, of Christ's love for you. Because if you had, you would be at perfect peace, and you would be the perfect peacemaker. So if you don't get anything else out of what I'm trying to say to you today, please understand this. Peace comes from grasping, from understanding, from resting in, and experiencing the love of Christ. That's the foundation. This is the model of of producing fruit by abiding in Christ. It all begins with the inner life. And what I realized this week was that the most of my prayer life recently has been about praying for others? Praying for those who are sick, for healthcare workers, for, for the vulnerable, and so on. And I'm sure that your prayers have been the same. There isn't exactly a shortage of things to pray about, right? But the thing is, I hadn't been praying for the power that, to be strengthened in my inner being. I hadn't been praying for Christ to dwell, to to dig in, to get comfortable in my heart. I hadn't been praying about how to grasp the extent of Christ's love for me. And as a result, my peace has slowly fizzled away. No wonder I have become such a jerk lately. Thankfully, you've been in isolation, so you haven't seen my jerkiness and all of its unfiltered unglory. Always, always, always focus on your inner life. No matter how chaotic things might be, focus on your inner life. The more you grasp, the more you, you can give. And you can't grasp anything without the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Having said all that, let's move on to to talking about being peacemakers. In Matthew 5, 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, we look and act like our dad and our big brother when we are serious about being peacemakers. Now, I want you to think about the term peacemakers for a moment. You know, what does it suggest to you? You know, it implies work and effort, doesn't it? You know, peace doesn't just happen, you have to make it. It requires effort and struggle and sacrifice. And why is that? Why is making peace such a difficult thing? Making and maintaining peace takes so much effort because it requires humility. Paul in Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4, outlines the attitude that the peacemaker should have. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Peacemaking is an action that springs from an attitude of humility. Humility. This is true that whether we're talking about peace in our marriages or our families or our our congregations or our workplace, if we ever get back together again and go back to work. Mm -hmm. Humility means that, that we consider not only our own interests, but the interests of those with which we wish to make and maintain peace. Speaking about this humble attitude, Rick Warren has rightly said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. Paul puts it this way in Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Now obviously, if making peace requires humility, it only goes to follow that pride is the enemy of peace. Pride's the obstacle of peace. Pride's, pride poisons peace. Proverbs 13.10, pride only breeds quarrels. So let me suggest to you five ways that pride poisons peace. First of all, pride poisons peace by shouting, I always must be right. Pride motivates us to, to prove that we're right even when we're wrong. Have you ever met someone who just has to be right about everything no no matter what you say to them? No, they know more. They know better. If all I'm interested in is making my point or proving that I'm right about something, I'm going to create all kinds of problems instead of peace in my relationships. Secondly, pride makes us sulk. Pride exaggerates the wrongs that are done to us. And we become this poor victim that's been so wrongfully treated. Pride makes us say and think things like, "Who do they think they are treating me like this?" and And, and I deserve better. Pride makes us think more personally. About things, and we should, and we become oversensitive, and we become easily angered, and then we d- dwell on how much we've been hurt. Next, pride causes us to sit back and wait for the other person to m- make the first move. Pride says that second is best. The person motivated by pride will say things like, Let them come to me, or They started it. Or I'm not going to forgive them till I'm good and ready. I want them to squirm first. Pride motivates us to give people the silent treatment. Pride makes us avoid those we feel hurt us. Pride prolongs the problem. Pride also sucks away our sympathy. We don't want to understand why somebody did what they did. We, we don't want to hear any excuses. Instead of trying to understand that we all make mistakes or, or that we all have bad days, pride never gives someone the benefit of the doubt. Pride never wants to listen. Pride never allows us to see that we have hurt other people in the same way that we've been hurt. And finally, pride makes us want to seize control of people and situations. If we can't be in control, we will make problems and cause conflicts until everyone else allows us to take control. With a controlling person, you never have peace. You only have resentment. Pride is a poison to peace. Before we, we move on to look at six steps for making peace, let me mention a common mistake that many people make concerning peace. You know, sometimes we think that being a peacemaker is the same as avoiding conflict. But nothing could be further from the truth. You know, if if there is something wrong in a relationship, the worst thing you can do is ignore it or cover it up. Avoid dealing with it. Avoiding a problem never makes it go away. Neither does just giving in and allowing yourself to to get stepped on like somebody's doormat. Peacemaking is about keeping a relationship alive and intimate. It's about promoting peace and love and trust and genuine community and fellowship. Peacemaking is about addressing problems and issues so that the real and lasting peace that is possible through Christ is developed and maintained. Keeping quiet is about is only going to allow a problem to grow. Ignoring a conflict only gives the enemy a bigger foothold. Now, now the truth is that no matter how much we try to keep peace, there will be times of conflict in our lives. Sometimes we will be the source of that conflict. Sometimes others will be the source. More often than not, both sides will add to the richness of the conflict. So when peace flees, what are the keys to restoring it? Well, let's look at the six steps for restoring peace. First of all, speak to God first. To always speak to God first. Any, any relationship works better when you pray about them, right? First of all. And just, just a quick reading of the Psalms would show you that David spent a lot of time talking to God about the problems he had with people. When you pray about your conflicts, things happen. First of all, you're giving yourself some time to consider the problem and to calm down. Secondly, you can ask for wisdom and the ability to address the problem in love. Third, God might show you a thing or two about your heart, and your prayer might even help you to see how you've contributed to the problem. Finally, God can and will work in the hearts of everyone involved. Remember, he wants us to be peacemakers. So he's going to help us in our quest to make peace. So always begin by speaking to God first. Paul in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we face conflict with others, the first and the best thing we can do is pray. Notice that Paul tells us that through prayer, the peace of God guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When you're in the middle of a conflict, it's so easy to jump to conclusions and dwell on how you've been hurt. It's so easy to allow bitterness to seep in and grow. It's so easy to start to play around with thoughts of getting even or striking back. But if we pray, the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds from all of that garbage, from all those footholds of the enemy. Praying first about the conflict ensures that our hearts will be protected and that we'll have the peace and the perspective to deal with the situation in a godly fashion. Next, the second way we can restore peace is by being selective about what will and won't be an issue of conflict for us. Paul, in... In Romans 14, 9 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Let's make every effort to do whatever leads to peace and mutual edification. I don't know about you, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but people are irritating. We all have habits and personality tics that have the potential to bug other people, but... That doesn't mean that we have to correct everything that bugs us about another person in order to make peace. Some of you have spent more time together in this last month than you probably have in years. In addition, we're all stressed with a myriad of uncertainties. What that means is that your spouse eating out of the peanut butter jar could go from being a mild annoyance to a DEFCON 5 situation. Part of being a peacemaker is being gracious. Again, we are to be humble, and our our attitude of humility tells us that we probably do things that bug other people as well. And there's probably things in us that other people overlook in us as well, because they love us. And if that's the case, then perhaps we should overlook some of the small stuff in the lives of others as well. Of course, except for the peanut butter thing. We're to make every effort to do what leads to peace. Now, sometimes the situation will call for us to address the issue. Sometimes the situation will call us for just to forget about it because in the scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal. Now, I would suggest to you that in many situations, most of the conflicts in relationships are really about minor irritations. Who left the cap off the toothpaste? Or who didn't put the toilet seat up? You know, sometimes I think that that somehow I I think that Christ can give us the grace to deal with these heavy burdens in our lives, don't you think? So be selective in what you choose to to make an issue of conflict. Otherwise, you'll step into the arena fighting over the small stuff, and it would be more about being controlling and critical and being right than it will be about anything else. Now the question is, how, how do you decide when an issue is important enough to deal with it? Go back to step one. Always go back to step one. Pray about it. Seek God's guidance. He'll let you know. Let's move on. The third way we can restore peace is by seizing the lead. Remember we said that, that if we're motivated by pride, we wait for the other person to make the first move. Well, if seeking to be a peacemaker is what we're interested in, then we should be the first person to make the move. Jesus in Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. God's so serious about peace that that he tells us to fix our relationships before we come before him. Notice that Jesus doesn't say if someone should have something against you or if you deserve to have someone have something against you. Jesus is just saying, he's not really making any kind of a judgment there at all. He's he's not pointing one way or the other, he's not talking about who's guilty who's sinful, whether it's justified or not. You see, what God's concerned about isn't the issue of who's right or who's wrong or who's to blame. The issue is that there's a problem, that there's a conflict. There's a lack of peace. He always says, don't worry about who started it, be the one to finish it. From Saskatoon shared this story a while back. She said. War had broken out between my roommate and me. We dealt with our anger not by communicating with each other. Or we dealt with our anger by not communicating with each other. I came in one night and found a note from my roommate. She simply said. I wish you Jesus. I cried, she said. Then I wrote a note asking her for forgiveness. And I placed it on her pillow and then I went to sleep. Later my roommate came home and shouted from the hallway that she had left a note on my desk. Then my sister had called and asked me to send her the music for, I wish you Jesus, the song. We both had a good laugh and we were reconciled. Don't wait for the other person to leave a note on your pillow. Make the first move. Be the the one to make peace. Paul in Ephesians 4 26 instructs us In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Paul's telling us to deal with our problems. Don't let them fester, don't let them build up. Don't let pride stop you from being a peacemaker. Next, we need to sympathize with each other. You know, sometimes all it takes to resolve a fight is to realize the other person has had a terrible day. Or that they've had a lot of stress in their lives right now. Or maybe they're already hurting or hurt. In Philippians 2, 4, Paul says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. The Greek word translated as look is is skopos, which is where we get the English word that's in telescope or, or microscope. The word means to look closely at something. It means to pay attention. You know, one of the easiest, most effective ways of restoring peace is just to close our mouths and listen. Sometimes all that's required to restore peace is just to help the other person to know that we understand how they feel James chapter 1 of his letter says my dear brothers take note of this everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry for a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires Oof. Understanding doesn't just help the other person. It helps us as well. The more we understand, the more we're able to forgive. Proverbs 19.11 tells us, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It's to his glory to overlook an offense. Hmm. Next, share your sin. Acknowledge you're part of the problem. James tells us, confess our sins to one another. When you blow it, confess. Don't let pride get in the way. Admitting you were wrong and asking for forgiveness is an immensely powerful thing. I've been in situations where I've made a mistake and overlooked something or someone or offhandedly offended someone, like, for example, this week. And I realized my mistake and then i immediately apologized and asked for forgiveness. Now amazingly you know what happens when you humble yourself and admit your sin and ask for forgiveness you disarm the situation. What can the other person say when you agree with them that you're a creep? Soon the anger pours out of the conflict. Admitting our sin and asking for forgiveness is a powerful tool in restoring peace. Finally, the last step to restoring peace is to strike the problem, not the person. And this is so important. You know, when we have a problem with someone, we need to make sure that we are addressing the problem, not the person. People fall into this trap a lot, especially. In families. Instead of complaining about the problem, they criticize the person, and there's a big difference. Complaining begins with the word I, criticism begins with the word you. Listen to the difference in these two statements and compare how they would make you feel if they were directed towards you. I wish you would clean up your room. Or, You never clean up your room. See the difference? The first one states a problem. The second attacks the person. Here's another one. I miss spending time with you. Contrasted with, you're never home. Or in our present circumstances, perhaps we should revise that statement and say... I miss me time, and you're always home. (laughs) Both statements address the same conflict, but one is a complaint and the other person is a personal criticism. I statements address the problem. You statements attack the person. And as soon as we feel attacked, we get defensive and peace becomes elusive. Strike the problem, not the person. Be gentle and loving in the way that you approach the issue. Proverbs 15.1 tells us, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Don't stir things up. Keep your eyes on Christ. Rest in Him. Allow Him to dwell in your inner being and seek the Spirit's help in grasping the exhaustive scope of, of his love for you. The inexhaustible scope of his love for you. Doing so will produce an abundance of peace in your life so that you can be a peacemaker. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Bible says that Jesus is the Lord of Peace. The Bible states that Jesus himself is our peace. We are never more like Jesus than when we sacrifice for peace. What sacrifices do you have to make? What is God prompting you to do today? Blessed are the peacemakers, for for they will be called sons of God. As we come to our time of communion... I want to point out to you that once again, the the cost of peace. The cost of peace with with God and with each other was the cross of Christ. Paul in Ephesians 2 says that, that Jesus' purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. That's why he came. We are all reconciled to God through the cross. As we approach the table, celebrate the peace that has already been made through the cross. And confess those sins and attitudes that continue to ignore the peace and and that create conflict. Humble yourself and ask for God's help in becoming a peacemaker.